Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Well, it's the last day of January and not a single team has shaken down or tested one of its Gen 3 race cars just yet. The Queensland teams all ultimately pulled out of yesterday's shakedown at Queensland Raceway. We could, however, see a car on track tomorrow with Blanchard Racing Team pressing on with plans to run at Winton. Given all the delays and uncertainty with the Gen 3 builds, the Supercars Commission has voted to overhaul its testing rules for pre-season testing. Teams will now have complete flexibility on when they hold their shakedowns and their first test days, with no requirement to share the days with other teams, and the 60-kilometre limit for shakedowns has also been scrapped. Plans for the all-in test at Sydney Motorsport Park on February 22, however, are still in place. In other Gen 3 news, the random allocation of the first batch of V8 motors has been completed and teams now have their hands on at least one engine. There's even been some collaboration on delivery with Team 18, for example, picking up motors for Erebus and Brad Jones Racing while in Queensland. The Super Cheap Auto Wildcard Program will continue this year with Zane Goddard to join Craig Lowndes in a Triple Eight run Camaro. The pair are set to tackle both Enduros, the Sandown 500 and the Bathurst 1000, even if the full details of the program are yet to be unveiled. We'll have more on that, plus a chat with Craig Lowndes later in the show. There will be one last chance for fans to get their hands on race day tickets for the Australian Grand Prix with a final limited release going on sale at 10am Melbourne time next Wednesday. The first allocation of those tickets was snapped up in just a couple of hours. Liam Lawson has been named as the driver of the Red Bull RB7 Formula 1 car that will lap Mount Panorama this weekend as part of the Bathurst 12-hour. The Kiwi will take the wheel of the car for a special demonstration run between the two 12-hour qualifying sessions on Saturday. There's been a late change in the driver lineup for the 12-hour itself, meanwhile, after Lucas Auer broke several vertebrae in a nasty crash in practice for the Daytona 24. Auer was set to drive the Kraft Bamboo Mercedes with Daniel Jokadella and Nicky Katzberg, with his place now to be taken by fellow Mercedes factory driver Philip Ellis. Aaron Cameron has been locked in for a full TCR Australia and S5000 Australian Drivers' Championship campaigns with Gary Rogers Motorsport for this season. Speaking of TCR Australia, the 2023 calendar has finally been released, with the series set to race on the Shannon's Speed Series bill at Simmons Plains, Phillip Island, Sydney Motorsport Park, Queensland Raceway, Sandown, and the Bathurst International. Another TCR World Tour round will eventually be added to that schedule. A number of supercars went under the Lloyds Auctions Hammer on Sunday, with Scott Pye's Albert Park winning ZB Commodore fetching $355,000. And Brock Hallett won the 50th running of the Grand Annual Sprint Car Classic, thanks to a last lap pass on Sheldon Howden Shield over the weekend. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that spent most of the weekend spamming Darryl O'Young with clips of himself racing GT3 cars around Bathurst on Project Cars 2. Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, are you feeling a little hard done by that uh, Daryl never called back? 
it's uh, it's a shame, Andrew, but uh, I'm sure that he would have hung up anyway once I'd asked if damage was going to be turned on. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't to be. I know they've got a lot of driver aids in this GT3 cars, but I don't think the visual-only damage is one of them, unfortunately. That's probably um, that's the next evolution in customer racing, I guess. But anyway, before we get too stuck into talking about uh, GT cars and Mount Panorama, let's start where we always seem to start at the moment, Stefan, and have a little chat about Gen 3. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are, as of Tuesday, yet to see a team Gen 3 car turn a single lap. The Queensland teams were meant to run yesterday, but of course that didn't end up happening. It seems focus for those northern teams has shifted to February 9. Most of the southern teams are also looking at at least that week before they run their cars, if not the week afterwards. That's all except Blanchard Racing Team, which still is planning to have its sole car on track at Winton tomorrow. We'll get onto that in a moment. But first, let's run through the changes to the preseason testing rules agreed upon by the Supercars Commission last week. So basically, for the shakedown of the first test day, teams now have complete freedom in terms of when they happen. The shakedown can also cover as many kilometers as the team likes, no more 60K limit. Um, Stefan, to me, this mostly seems like a common sense approach given the situation that the teams are in. What do you reckon? Oh, yeah, I think so for sure. Like it was, it was a good idea initially to have everyone going together, both from a fairness point of view and and cost saving, because supercars does always encourage teams to uh, test together for that reason. But um, yeah, they're at a point now where they just need to be as flexible as possible and uh, let the teams uh, go through this process at the pace that uh, they're at. I have to say, speaking of the pace of the project and the car builds, it is it's kind of surprising to see. BRT reached this point so much earlier than every other team. Okay, they've only had the one car to, feel, to to build, but it feels like it's getting hold of the bits, even for one car that's been the challenge for teams, not actually strapping the cars together. Obviously, having the parts procuring power of the wider cool drive business helps that process for them, as does the fact that cool drive has actually manufactured a lot of the parts for the entire field. But Surely there's still going to be some compromises on that car given the Ford Aero package actually isn't finalised yet. Um, I, I did speak to, to Blanche this morning and he's confident that the shakedown will be so focused on system checks and all that sort of stuff that the little performance stuff like Aero won't actually matter because they won't be tweaking or trying to find speed necessarily on that day tomorrow. Um, Stefan, what's your take on this kind of very staggered uh, rollout of cars of teams running cars that we may see? Yeah, obviously the the Blanchard thing's got everyone talking at the moment and asking how they've done it because it does defy logic to a certain extent that the smallest team in the pit lane is going to be the first out with uh, with their car. But yeah, whether the one car thing has has helped them a little bit and, and Tim has talked about the fact that some Mustang parts have come through a bit quicker than some Camaro ones too may have assisted. But um, yeah, Cool Drive is a big parts company sourcing parts and making parts is what they're about so they know how to make stuff happen and quickly and yeah a shakedown at Winton's not going to be about aero and even with that I mean don't forget supercars did sign off the VCAT so yeah. Ford are still agitating but that's the aero spec it'll run because that is the aero spec that, that we've got at the moment so yeah that's where they're at and if they've done anything else um, taken any other shortcuts to get it on track it wouldn't be totally unprecedented either i mean triple eight to a larger extent um did that back in 2012 to get their first car the future car running that ran about a month before anybody else's so um yeah brt have prioritized getting a car out early and uh and seeing what it does 
They're definitely going to get some publicity out of it because it's going to uh, sweep the headlines tomorrow when that thing does roll out at the end of uh, Winton Pit Lane. How do you think? Um, how do you think Barry Ryan's going to take the news? I mean, the, he released another, you know, frank and you know, refreshingly honest update on the Gen Three build process last week, where he outlined that he felt it would be unfair for anybody to be testing this week. What do you reckon? Well. Certainly Baz versus Blanchard is uh, the Gen 3 rivalry that I didn't see coming. Not sure about <laughs> yourself. But, um, yeah, clearly, like, I reckon Baz knew what was going on when he put that statement out. It all looked pretty pointed. Um, and I don't know whether the fact that a lot of the control parts are actually being supplied by cool drive through racer industries is adding to any of that feeling. I mean, things like the fuel and fire system, the wheels, steering column, there's about 80 parts all up coming from Racer. But according to, to Tim, it, that, none of that's holding up the other teams. So putting that aside, I think the, the bigger question here is whether testing first will actually give a competitive advantage as well as the obvious PR one. I mean, there might be some benefit, but it's not like the BRT guys are going to go and learn a bunch of things and then rush back and design and manufacture new uprights yeah. in time for Newcastle because you can't you can't do that with Gen three. It's all spec stuff anyway. So it's really it, they're still going to be on the back foot for probably the best part of the season based on the fact that they've only got one car to draw data from and no technical hookup with another team. You know, so yeah, for sure, it's like- it's a data gathering exercise. And once these bigger teams get up and rolling, we're not just talking about two car teams. We're talking about there's some four car teams yeah. out there, and then some like Triple Eight who have got um, customers that the data all feeds back into as well. So yeah, I I just don't see that we'll be still talking about this at uh, the gala awards. Put it that way. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think so. And some. Sort of, yeah, generally more interesting stuff than doing a canvas sweep on a race car tends to happen at the gala. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's move on to the wildcard news, Stefan. The super cheap auto entry is back for 2023 with Zane Goddard getting the call up alongside Craig Lowndes in a Triple Eight Camaro. And now, as it stands, there's actually no firm commitment to any races. Um, you know, we, we obviously expect the car to be at Bathurst. And as you'll hear from Craig Lowndes in the very near future, the plan is absolutely to do the Sandown 500 as well, so both endurance races. It's probably the strongest lineup we've actually seen in this entry, just given Zane's experience relative to where Declan Fraser was heading into Bathurst as a rookie last year. But I guess the sort of DNA of the entry, which is basically giving a young driver a chance to make their mark at Bathurst, is preserved here by Goddard's mistake in the early part of the race last year. That obviously drew a lot of attention for the wrong reasons. Stefan, it's just nice to see Zane get this high-profile shot at redemption, right? Yeah, I think Zane's a great choice and clearly super cheap for these wild cards. They like to have a story or a plot line behind them. Yeah. And this redemption angle that comes with Zane is a really good one. I mean, there's no denying that he stuffed up last year in a big way early in the race there at Bathurst, but he certainly doesn't deserve for that to cost him his career. So Definitely not, yeah. He's, he's got an amazing opportunity now here in this Triple Eight wild card and he's he's well placed to make the most of it given that his experience level is actually quite quite high and he's done those gen 3 testing miles through last year which um would put him ahead of some other co-drivers certainly so as you say they'll do sand down as well as bathurst and i wouldn't be surprised if Zane gets a solo wild card somewhere in there too but the announcement was weirdly vague because from what we know the wild card rules haven't actually been fully confirmed yet and certainly I don't believe wild cards have been approved either. So they've sort of pushed out 
uh, what they want to do, but not uh, not all the detail. You'd be uh, you'd be brave to turn down a Craig Lowndes led uh, wild card for the great race. Let's um, let's I grabbed Craig for a chat about you know the Bathurst one thousand and and this whole program, and uh, here let's have a listen to what he had to say. All right, let's start with this uh, super cheap wildcard news. You must be excited to have that program locked away again and sort of, um, you know, roughly know what's going to be going on this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, last year was was a bit of a taste of, of uh, hopefully what we can do again this year um, to, to be – uh, eighth last year with with Declan was a fantastic opportunity and and uh, you know to have super cheap back the program again for the third year in a row and and uh, you know this year uh, you know to to pair up with Zane I'm I'm really excited about it. If you look at those last two super cheap wild cards, you know in 2021 Russell probably wasn't right where he needed to be to be really competitive. Last year you had you know a rookie in Declan who obviously was hugely impressive, but it's always a big ask when you're doing that race for the first time. This year though, you and Zane, I mean that's actually a pretty competitive lineup. I got to say, you must feel like you can do some damage when you get to Bathurst. Oh, absolutely. You now we've both both been talking about it, uh, and you know we we've both got a feeling that we can definitely get onto the podium at some point at somewhere. Sorry, uh, it's it's. You know, great to have Zane alongside us. You know, he's experienced in the main game, but also his experience in other categories around the world. So, you know, he brings a lot of uh, experience and speed to the to the to the table, and I'm really excited about that. You know, last year was as a, as you said, Declan was was you know he's a great young kid again, very talented, but you know at the same time he was you know it's his first sort of. Big opportunity, and, and he grasped it with both hands. But you know, again, Zane, you know, is, is, as I said, brings a lot of experience. You mentioned get on the podium somewhere. I know the details of the program haven't been fully unveiled yet, but you know, it, it seems. Are you expecting to make an appearance at the Sandown Five Hundred? Surely, you wouldn't want to miss the return of a of a classic event like that. Well, yeah, I think the I think the program or the plan is is to do both the. The enduros, yeah. Um, you know, it's fantastic to have the five hundred back on the on the calendar. It, it's something that it needed to be. Uh, and I suppose being selfish now, being as a co-driver, just having one enduro race a year is is not enough. And and I think we saw you know the last couple of years where you know again the unex the inexperienced drivers really struggle. Um, to get their head around, you know, the speed of the race, Bathurst, the enormity of it, and to have a 500, that's you know, that's a great opportunity to, to basically, um, you know, shake the rust off and, and get ready for the for the Bathurst 1000. It's no secret that Zane did have a, a pretty tough time at Bathurst last year and then a quite a tough period that followed the Bathurst 1000. As someone who knows the ups and downs of motor racing well, is it nice to to have this sort of hands-on role in, in helping him have this shot at, Redemption at Bathurst to go back with the wildcard entry. Well, I, I think super cheap as well. Um, excited to you know to give him an opportunity to give him a platform that you know he can he can shine and he can show what he's really capable of. You know, we all <laughs> we've all made mistakes in our career. Um, you know, in, and unfortunately for Zane, you know, it, it was a bad situation in the sense of the weather. Uh, yeah. it, absolutely, we all knew if you went off track, um, you were going to be stuck or. or you know, the other side of it, it was going to be like an ice skating ring. And for Zane, unfortunately, you know, the, the day finished too early. Um, but, you know, look, the, this is a great opportunity for him now to, to basically um, 
hit the reset button and, and uh, as I said, he brings a lot of experience. And, and I've dealt with him through the, the Gen 3 program, the de- demonstration runs when he's been running the Mustang. And, and you know, he's a bright young kid, very level-headed, and, and as I said, he's very experienced. Now, you mentioned before about, you know, shaking the rust off before a big race. You're off to the Bathurst 12-hour this weekend. Um, it always feels like it sort of races up on us after the Christmas break. How, how are you feeling? Are you ready to tackle the mountain? Oh, absolutely. You know, we had a great run down at Phillip Island weeks ago just to give the car a shakedown uh, to get all, all four of us in the car and, and uh, you know, get familiar again with the Mercedes because it's it's sort of, uh, you know, it's been sitting in a garage for, for a couple of years and, and Scotty, you know, got really keen and enthusiastic about it, especially after last year's 12-hour running his cup car. So, uh, you know, the four of us are really excited and, and, you know, I'm looking forward to it. It's something that uh, in the last couple of weeks, you know, I've, I've you know, sat and not watched all of it, but, you know, the, the, the Abu Dhabi 24-hour, the Daytona 24-hour, I got up early this morning and, and watched the finish of that just to sort of see how things were going. So it, it's great to have some racing back on the calendar and a sense of that and, and, and to start the season off with the 12-hour. That Pro-Am class is actually pretty competitive. It's going to be one of the more interesting sort of battles to watch over the weekend. What are your expectations heading to Bathurst? Oh, the same thing. I think, you know, we, we've got a great opportunity to be on the podium. Uh, what step, don't know. But, uh, you know, again, uh, Jeff Emery is very capable of, of steering the car. Alex Davison, obviously, is very incredibly talented. Uh, and Scotty, like, you know, Scotty's found really good speed over the last couple of years. And, you know, again, he he's, uh, again, uh, understanding of, of what the program's all about. And, and uh, you know, for us is to go there uh, as a four drive a lineup like we did last year also to try and raise some good funds through the Prostate Cancer Foundation as well. So, and, and it's a credit to Scotty to be able to, you know, to, to present the car and, and for us to use the car in, in a way that, you know, we can raise some good funds. Every lap in under a minute, every move made to matter, every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticket Tech. Supercars. Unforgettable. Stefan, let's continue that little shift of topic of uh, onto the Bathurst 12 hour and uh, have a chat about that. The Aussie racing season does kick off this weekend with the opening round of the Intercontinental GT Challenge. The pro lineups are back. The February date is back. It's not the biggest or most diverse field of cars in the world, but hey, there's plenty of star power out there with the top GT drivers and supercars drivers and even a total of nine motorcycle world championships in the field, even if they do all belong to one bloke. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon we should tackle a few burning questions heading into the weekend, uh, and we may as well start, Stefan, with who we think will be the main contenders. I'll have a crack at this one first, if you like. I think that if you just sit down, it's there's there's plenty to look at in terms of who could actually uh, be up the front here, and obviously we don't necessarily know exactly where the cars are going to lie with BOP and stuff. That's always the question mark that's hangs around until mm-hmm. we get deep into the race weekend. But like that Mante EMA Porsche lineup looks pretty tasty. Matt Campbell always seems to arrive back down under pretty motivated. And the last time that it was the last year of a Porsche model, um, he did something pretty special to to draw a win at the mountain. Um, we know Mara Engel is excellent at Bathurst and he's coming off victory uh, in the GTD Pro Class in Daytona. The same can be said of uh, Danny Juncadella. Um, they're in different cars for Bathurst. 
Um, but both of those overseas mercs will be a pretty quick. It's it's hard to rule out any of the pro entries, really. You know, we've seen WRT win in Dubai this year with the M4 already. I mean, there's, I don't know, there's it, it's, it is pretty tasty when you look at all those entries, Stefan. Yeah, I think you'd have to throw in the Audi Pro Class car as well, which probably yep. gives us the full full set. But yep. it's it is really hard to split all those entries, and I'm tempted to say we won't know until qualifying where they're really at. But we won't actually know until the race because I'm sure there'll be plenty of sandbagging going on. We saw last year that two of the Audi guys, yeah. Chas Mostert <laughs> and Kelvin Van der Linde, as you enjoyed so much, they got a bit carried away fighting for pole and then the Audis got hit with the BOP stick before the race. So uh, surely, surely that won't happen again. Yep, absolutely. Well, the next question is, we're talking about all these pro cars. Can a Pro-Am car actually win the race outright this year? You can have a crack at this one. They'll be right in the fight for pole. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah. can they win the race? I think so, but they'd need to have a lot go right in the closing hours with safety cars and strategy. Like the M has to do three hours total driving time and an hour of that has to be in the second half of the race. And how much that hurts obviously depends a lot on the pace of your M and that varies massively. Like we're talking seconds a lot difference there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what hurts. It hurts my brain trying to work out. There's like three hours here, one hour here, all mm. these sorts of rules for this stuff. But there's definitely, I think even like I, I think a pro am car can win the race. I think it's definitely with this race you can't you can't take um you can't rule that out at all. But it's also like there's just some awesome pro am lineups out there. Like the battle for pro am honors is going to be pretty good because yeah, you talk about the difference in the am drivers, but. You know, you got Chris Mees and Ricardo Feller in a car with a bloke as quick as Yasser Shahin, you know, or James Golding and Frederick Vavish with Brad Schumacher. You know, they could easily be in the game, you know. You got Jamie and Richie and the Prince, or you've got Reynolds and Jordan Love and Tony Bates. So, you know, Chaz Mostert, like we were talking about, you know, him in qualifying last year, the fact that he was fighting for pole last year, it wasn't because it was a pro-am event last year. Like it was him racing pro drivers, you know. So mm. over that single lap, as you say, you've got guys that can actually definitely be in the fight there and then you get to the last hour of the race and who knows. But I think even like, you know, we, we may have the pro lineup, the pro crews back, but I think it's going to take a lot to win the pro-am class. Like that's going to be a big job and an impressive job for someone to get out there and do another entry that's also quite interesting is the reigning winning car that Sun Energy won Mercedes, which has Lucas Stoltz, Jules Gunon, and the car owner Kenny Habul in it. So Habul is a bronze rated driver, but they've actually entered in the pro class, not pro am. Yeah. So he's not subject to the minimum driving time rules that we were talking about before. It's only the maximums that his two pro guys have. So he can do one yep. stint early and then let Luca and Jules haul it to the front from there. And, I mean, last year Kenny, yeah, quite clever. Kenny was quite clever last year in bringing a second AM with him. So he had four drivers, which meant he only had to do one stint early. And if you remember, I think he had a spin and two drive-throughs and they still came back and won the race. So, <laughs> yeah, I think um, – and, and, and it was an absolute, like, World Rally Championship-style <laughs> effort as well. It was. So I, I think uh, that's a really interesting entry, the way they've structured that and the – the idea of those two pros being able to go at it for most of the day, I think that car should be right in there, assuming that Kenny can get through that stint. 
Yeah, Jules Gouron, another Daytona winner going for a third straight Bathurst crown as well. So that would be uh, fairly impressive. Um, and also what could be fairly impressive is watching a Formula One car around Bathurst over the weekend, Steph. And there's been some videos popping up online of that RB7 F1 car skidding around the Seacliff Bridge uh, in Wollongong there. Um, the unofficial lap record. Do you reckon we could see Liam Lawson run down Jensen Buttons at 1 minute 48.8 on Saturday when he does his demo run there, Stefan? Surely. Like, Red Bull haven't been playing it up as a lap record run, but, um, yeah, I've, I bet they've done all the sim work and they have a number in mind and know what they need to do to go and achieve that. I'm really interested to hear how they gear it because if you remember Buttons McLaren, I think it was out of breath about halfway down Conrad, so they were obviously trying yeah. to limit the top speed of that thing for safety. So there's a bunch of time there depending on how hard they want to go. And if you look that that McLaren was a – 2008 car and so this red bull is only three years newer so it's not as yep. fast as the current cars would go but um geez it'll it'll sound good won't it oh yeah it's gonna sound nice All right, let's take a look at what's been happening around the world. Maya Shank Racing kicked off the new era of sports car racing by winning the Rolex 24 with its number 60 Acura, driven by Tom Blomquist, Colin Brown, Helio Castroneves, and Simon Pagano. The LMP2 win went to Aussie James Allen, who was sharing an Orica with Fred Portad, Francesco Pizzi, and Gianmaria Bruni, while the LMP3 class went to Anthony Mantella, Wayne Boyd, Nico Verona, and Thomas Merrill. In GTD Pro, there was victory for Mercedes crew Cooper McNeil, Daniel Cadella, Mara Engel, and Jules Gunon. Although the first GT car home was the GTD Aston Martin of Roman DeAngelis, Marco Sorensen, Ian James, and Darren Turner. There were three winners from the three Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana races at Manfield over the weekend. The first went to series debutant Lewis Foster, who only landed in, the, in NZ right before the event. The second went to Josh Mason before Castrol back Kiwi. James Penrose won the third to claim the Dan Higgins Trophy. Charlie Wirtz, who clashed with Foster in the final race, continues to lead the series by six points over Callum Hedge, heading to next weekend's New Zealand Grand Prix. In Formula E, Pascal Verlon completed a Daria Epre clean sweep with two wins, and Matthias Ekstrom beat Mick Schumacher to win the Race of Champions in Sweden. Okay, it's Castrol Mailbag time. Now, we decided to shake things up a bit this week, and uh, we put a shout-out out yesterday asking for your unpopular motorsport opinions, and we got some absolute crackers, so we're going to run <laughs> through a handful of our favourites. Our friend of the show, Lockie Mansell, he says supercars should get rid of safety cars and introduce code 60s as the caution system. That's like a virtual safety car thing, right? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, which I believe they use in events like the Dubai 24 hour. Oh, okay. I just reckon like virtual cautions are terrible. They have like none of the, they have all the disadvantages of a safety car and none of the advantages of a safety car, like bunching up the field and creating some excitement. I just do not like them at all. So that is an unpopular opinion that I'm happy to label an unpopular opinion. Stefan? Yeah, there's a reason the phrase, this race needs a safety car, exists, <laughs> yeah, and the phrase, this race needs a code 60, does not. Very good point. All right, Connor Leshimanant, he says, I hope I pronounced that even remotely correctly, um, he says the best driver in Australia is a Kiwi. Yeah. I don't think that's unpopular. Look, that's just a... That's just a cold, cold, hard fact. Yeah, it's not even opinion. It's a, nah. it's a fact. And it's probably not the first time it's happened, to be fair. I reckon yeah. Jim Richards had a fair crack at that uh, that mantle as well for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's um, 
I don't think that's unpopular. We're friendly with our mates over the ditch. Like that's uh, that's all good. Uh, Gordon Anderson says, I really enjoy watching Formula E and there's more action, racing, passing and incidents than Formula One. There probably is all of that stuff, but I still find the cars a little too slow and the whole show just way too complicated. It just hasn't, I have. I, it's never quite grabbed me. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if a Formula E race was being held on my front lawn, I don't think I'd open the blinds. I'm not. I'm not anti-green, but it's just never done it for me. Like the cars yeah, are no, ugly. The they sound horrible. The, the tracks look like car parks. It's full of gimmicks. Yeah, there's just so much other motorsport to enjoy that I've never really uh, gotten into it. I, I totally agree. It's definitely not like some sort of fundamental opposition to the concept of you know electrified motor racing. I just don't. It just doesn't get me. It just doesn't get me going. It's just for, yeah, I'm not into it. Anyway, uh, Trevor Lansdowne says, the Australian Touring Car Champion should be awarded to the winner of the TCR Series, not the Supercar Champion. Go on, Stefan. Have a go at this one. Well, we are tearing these up, but that means they're great unpopular opinions, right? Because yeah, that was the totally. idea. So, so yep. this, is a, this is a fun one, but, yeah, I don't think it holds water no matter which way you really look at it. Like... Yeah, the bottom line is supercars will always change and evolve, but I'm not really convinced TCR has a long-term future here. Yeah, probably. I, I just I, this might not go down well with the history buffs, but you know when we speak in modern terms, I just think about the supercars champion, not the ATCC champ. Like I don't really, I, I wouldn't really care if they did it to be honest. But and like at the same time, like no offense to TCR, but it would actually devalue the ATCC crown a bit because that's obviously not our top tier of motor racing here. So anyway, wow, uh, you're giving this one the thumbs up. Well, I'm just going. I'm no, no, I'm not. I'm saying I don't care, but then maybe I do care a little bit, and they definitely shouldn't do it. So that's so I'm definitely, I absolutely okay. I obviously didn't explain it well. If you think I'm giving it the thumbs up, but anyway, let's move on. Uh, Braden McKay says a TRC that finishes in the bottom three in two consecutive seasons should go up for tender. Oh, I don't think Peter Addison would find that an unpopular opinion at all, there, Braden. I think he'd be uh, he'd be into that one. Yeah, I think we might let Peter Adderton and Roland Dane fight this out because yeah. Roland recently uh, wrote a piece that uh, very well explained why practically it's not a good idea. But certainly yeah. from a sporting standpoint, um, I like the concept. And we talked about the NASCAR version of this with their charter system, how NASCAR can opt to take yeah. one of the charters if it's uh, underperforming for several years in a row. Yeah. Uh, Richard John, he says that he thinks Gen 3 is going to be awesome. It's over budget and it's not going to save the team's money like it was meant to. But from a spectator perspective, I think it's going to be a huge step forward. That's actually, uh, I think that's a fairly well-formed opinion, to be honest. I think that it is definitely over budget and these things never seem to actually save anyone money at any point. But, I mean, there is every chance that the racing is going to be better. And, in fact, if it's not, then why did we actually go through all this? So, you know, I think that... Yeah, I think that's a very that's an interesting take, but that's exactly how we could well see it play out. What do you reckon? Oh yeah, it is a great unpopular opinion because it swims against the tide, but it's uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun season, and um, you do see a lot of you know comments from fans saying it's going to be uh, cost the teams a lot of money and it's not going to save them and all this, but the fans shouldn't really have to worry about that nah. if the racing's good. And exactly. and we'll we'll wait and see if the you know if there's a lot more passing in that. I'm not entirely convinced but it's no. definitely going to be fun to see if it shakes up the order and uh what the racing's like 
Uh, Russell Tippett has absolutely had a swing for the uh, bleachers here. He <laughs> says, uh, Glenn Seaton was sabotaged by Ford so they did not have to give away his dad's Cortina. That is a heck of a take, Stefan. I'm going to leave <laughs> this one. You're the, you're the history buff. I'm going to leave this one to you. Well, that's certainly a fun one, and I assume it's in jest, but we'll, we'll run through it anyway. Like Russell's obviously referring there to Bathurst 1995 where the ARDC, the promoter, put up this extra incentive for Cito to win the race. 30 years since his dad, Bo, had won in the Cortina. So the the offer was if Cito won the race, he could either take the Cortina or 30 grand. But where this uh, theory comes unstuck is that uh, Glenn did say in the book that I did with him a couple of years back that he would have taken the cash, not the Cortina, which makes sense considering uh, the PJ, the Peter Jackson money at the time was going because of the cigarette sponsorship uh, being outlawed. So he uh, he would have taken the money, not the car. That definitely makes uh, plenty of sense. Uh, Paul McF says supercars would be better owned and run by Peter Adderton and his consortium. Probably good not to put your full last name there just in case, uh, I don't know, someone scaphy or someone comes after you. Um, oh, I think there's a there's a lot of sliding doors work there. <laughs> it's pretty hard to be able to tell where we'd be at if that was if that was the case. So I don't know. I don't know if I want to touch that one. Yeah, there was quite a few uh, Peter Adderton-related uh, ones that came through, and we can't get through all of all of these unpopular opinions because we got a great response. There was uh, there was over a hundred last time I looked at it. So thanks to everyone for uh, putting them in. And uh, yeah, this one, I think the fact that there were so many Peter Adderton-related ones uh, says it all. He's a great marketer. Reese Datto says, watching drivers change anti-roll bar settings twenty times a lap is ridiculous. Set your car up properly and drive it. If you miss the setup window. Or- Burn your rear tires up too quick, tough. Um, nah, nah, can't get on board with that. Love, love a bit of bar swing, and also there's not. If you've burnt your rear tires up, like if you are burning your rear tires up, switching your bars isn't necessarily going to be the almighty saviour. Um, so I don't think it really affects setup choice, um, and I think it just looks cool. And hopefully they get those bars back, and we have them pretty soon, Stefan. Yeah, I definitely understand where this one is coming from but uh yeah i like the idea of the drivers thinking through it and and acting on the fly and and also just the concept of the drivers fighting each other with with good cars rather than one being defenseless because they they got the setup wrong now conor o'brien he's had a we've given him two cracks he's getting a bit of special treatment here he's getting two cracks at it um so he (laughs) said his two opinions are the first one is supercars is better for having double stacking the second one is Fernando Alonso is the best F1 driver of the past 20 years. All right, so the first one, the only way to avoid double stacking is to close the pit lane during safety cars, and I'm definitely not a fan of that. It's way too restrictive on strategy, so I think double stacking is fine and can be pretty fun and can sort of create some interesting dynamics early in the race when when team cars are jostling for position. Um, for the second one, and I know I, I know Connor's take, ta- I feel personally attacked by this one because um, – <laughs> Anyone that knows me will have probably heard my Fernando Alonso take, and I'm not saying he's not good, and I'm not saying he's not a deserving two-time world champion, but I just always feel like there is a lot of hype for someone that has really struggled to cut it at the big teams. It has a reputation of being very hard to work with and has spent so much of his career in underperforming cars because the really good guys tend to end up in cars that perform really well and win lots of stuff. That's that's always been my theory. Anyway, Stefan, you can have a crack at those two now. Yeah, I think that strikes at the heart of whether you consider being a great racing car driver does include those other elements of getting yourself into the right team situations and 
not blowing up relationships that uh, that hurt your chances of success. Oh, so. but no, no, but I'll, I'll stop you there because even if, if you are fast enough, you can blow up whatever you want <laughs> and the team will keep you. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the I think Lewis Hamilton would be hard done by not to uh, to get the gong here as the the best in the last twenty years. Uh, in terms of like, is anyone else even in the conversation? I guess Sebastian Vettel. Anyone else? No, no. I think that's about that. That's about the only. They're the only ones you can have, but it's not Fernando Alonso. That's not the case. That maybe <laughs> that's. I know that's quite an unpopular opinion. I very rarely express that opinion and don't have somebody go. What on earth are you talking about? But anyway. Well, full, full disclaimer, Conor O'Brien, of course, is a colleague of ours and uh, he well knows uh, your view on this. <laughs> uh, it's a conversation that's been had before. So there you go. All right. Uh, Keenan Jones, I love this one. Australian touring car racing wasn't better back in the day. This shouldn't even be an unpopular opinion. Like this is just a fact as well. Like the idea that it was any harder to win or more competitive or, or whatever in any other era is just complete nonsense. Complete nonsense. Yeah, as much as I love the history, I uh, think this is a, a good opinion because, uh, yeah, a lot of things look better in the rearview mirror than they actually were at the time. <laughs> very, very well put. Uh, Michael Williams, he says that victory burnouts are disrespectful to the car and the people that built, developed, and prepared it. Uh, when I win an event, I pat the car and say, thank you, I certainly don't do a burnout or climb up on the roof like a gorilla and pump the air with my fist. Call me old-fashioned, but I shake hands with the crew and look lovingly at the car. I'm sorry, Michael. Burnouts are wicked. Like, you obviously <laughs> didn't watch didn't watch the end of the Adelaide 500 uh, on the Sunday race at the end of last year because, um, nah, those cars have been disrespected for every lap of every race. So uh, one more bit of disrespect, <laughs> I think, is, uh, is just fine. Yeah, next they'll be avoiding the turn two curb at Adelaide to show a bit of extra respect. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the cars are a tool of the trade, aren't they? Yeah. And the drivers are the stars, so um, they should celebrate. But of course, like these days, the teams tend to approve via the radio when burnouts can be done anyway. So it's not like the driver is just going rogue and tearing it up. Well, not not entirely anyway. Yeah, I, don't, I think we see plenty of going rogue, but... Um but anyway, and the, uh, the the last one for this week, uh, John Withers, he says, Ambrose turned in on Murphy. Obviously, we're talking about the great Bathurst shut there. I mean, you really only get a decent look at it from the chopper camera, don't you, when you watch the replay? And I feel like they probably both did have space, space either side to um, to make some room, even though it's so narrow there. So I don't know. What, what do you reckon? What a fence sitter. Yeah. It's all right. Well, but- you j- jump off one side or the other. Go for it. Uh, no, it was it was a racing incident, wasn't it? Like Marcus turned into the corner, but if you don't, you're in the wall anyway. Like as yeah. Jamie Winkup showed us, what was yes. that in 2020? So, yeah, Marcus was too far past to to back out of it. So that left Murph really with the choice of backing out or crashing them both. And uh, we all know what happened. We do. Uh, that was fun. I think we should maybe we need a bit of feedback from listeners on whether we should maybe uh, make that a bit more regular. Because I got to say, well, I, I enjoyed we- that. We didn't disclose that we were going to tear each one apart, but uh, again, thank you to everyone who uh, who sent one in. It was fun. I, I, I think we should. Uh, if if you think we should do that again, just drop us a note and uh, let us know. All right, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Stefan, my Castrol star is heading straight to Perth boy James Allen, who was a class winner in LMP2 at Daytona over the weekend. If you haven't seen the footage of the finish, it is definitely worth a look. He basically ran down. Uh, 
class leader Ben Hanley on, on the run to the flag, on the banking to win by 16 hundredths of a second after 24 hours of racing. It really is something quite remarkable. And he was also teamed up with a guy called Fred Pordad, which I find pretty interesting, a pretty interesting <laughs> surname in the context of motor racing. <laughs> I don't know why that just that took my fancy as well. Anyway, Stefan, who gets your Castrol star this week? That was an excellent one from you, by the way. Anyone who hasn't seen that should go and find the clip. You're going to uh, need to help me out with my star this week, Andrew, because mm-hmm. I'm giving it to a mate of yours. Anyone following you on socials, and I assume that's everybody, would sure. have seen uh, pics the other day of an ex-Mark Larkham, Reynard Formula Holden, that's recently been restored. So tell us the story, fill in the blanks. Whose is it and uh, what are they doing with it? Yeah, so that is a, a mate of mine over here in Perth called uh, Andrew Gifford. He's owned a couple of nice old race cars in the past and he actually embarked on I think what became a slightly more ambitious uh, project than he first expected of restoring that old Larco car, but geez, he's done a fantastic job. And it just looks like the livery on it is absolutely um, fantastic and just, you know, the history of the car and just like the most classic shape of racing car you can possibly imagine for people that sort of grew up in our era, I suppose. So, yeah, look, he's going to run the car in um, in some Formula Classic events over here in Perth. It should hopefully be on track at some point in the next few weeks, but the restoration is absolutely beautiful. Um, he's um, just the detail of recreating that livery, everything just um, just stunning. It's a it's an impossibly cool bit of kit. And uh, Giffo, if you're listening, I think like a Castro <laughs> helmet sticking out the top of it at some point would look um, look pretty cool. Just just saying. I thought uh, you were going to get to that eventually, but uh, <laughs> there's actually a good community of uh, historic former Holdens uh, these days. And there's a few of the old cars that have uh, been done back up again. So it's, uh, yeah, one of those um, eras of Australian motorsport that probably doesn't get a lot of of attention, but uh, they were certainly very cool cars. And that one is exceptionally cool. I can vouch for that. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.